God is at work at Main Street. And he's using people like Mark at Youth Camp and just making an incredible impact for the kingdom. How do you follow something like that? I don't even know how I could stand up here after following something like that. But thank you for the testimony in your ministry. I want to invite our children to go follow Miss Christy and Miss Beth in the back uh, to Promised Land. We have something wonderful for, our ch- wonderful for our children every week. So I want to invite all our kiddos to go back there and join them as they will be uh, spiritually nurtured back there uh, during this time. So uh, go ahead and have a great day today, children. Well, God is at work. He's at work at our youth. Uh, VBS is coming up next week, and it's just going to be a great week. So God is definitely doing something. You know, for some churches, things slow down, not for Main Street. I mean, God continues to move and and use all of us to advance his kingdom. And so just praise God for that. I am honored that uh, Pastor Ernest would... uh, 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 allow me to, to be able to, to preach to you this morning. I'm always thankful that he gives me the opportunity. We, we sit under a, a great preacher and a great pastor. He's been our pastor now for close to 12 years now. I've been uh, blessed to have served under him for 11 now. And so just what a, a wonderful man and uh, to get to sit under such great preaching. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. So while you're going there, I just want to uh, let you know that as, as a worship pastor, I, I try to put a lot of songs in front of you that teach and instruct you a lot of good theology. And some of those songs are really, really old. Um, so Silent Night. Silent Night was something we sing, sing at Christmas every year. If I didn't sing it, then I would get in trouble. But we sing Silent Night every year at Christmas Eve. And um, this past year, Silent Night celebrated its 200th anniversary. So Silent Night is now over 200 years old. This coming Christmas, we're going to celebrate the 300th anniversary of Joy to the World. Joy to the World is, it's actually not a Christmas song at all. It actually refers to the second coming of Christ, but we sing it as a Christmas song. It's still a good Christmas song. But this year, it's the 300th anniversary of Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts. There's even songs older than that that we sing. Uh, Pastor's favorite hymn is, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That was penned by Martin Luther in the year 1529. So in 10 years from now, it'll be the 500th anniversary of A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Some other really old songs that we sing, uh, one would have to be the doxology. The doxology was written for the Genevan Psalter around the year 1549 to 1550. So that's, that's almost as old as A Mighty Fortress, but not quite, but still almost 500 years old. A song that's even older than those... Maybe the oldest song in in the hymnal would probably have to be All Creatures of Our God and King, which we sing in this service as well sometimes. That was written by Francis of Assisi in the 13th century. So that one's really old. Well, this morning we're going to look at a hymn that's even older than all of those. This was a hymn that Paul wrote. This is known as the Carmen Christi, translated from Latin, meaning the hymn to Christ. Now, it's not the oldest hymn in the Bible. I would say probably the oldest song in the Bible would be the Song of Moses from Exodus 15. Uh, so that one is the oldest song that's mentioned in Scripture, the, the Song of Moses. But this one is about 1,500 years after that. This is the Carmen Christi. So if you will, stand with me as we hear from the Word of the Lord this morning. We're going to start a, a little ahead of this hymn. We're going to start at the end of chapter 1 beginning in verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. 
just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith and the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. And here's chapter 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, Intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now here's the hymn to Christ right here. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Says the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's a wonderful hymn. It's a wonderful passage. So just to give you a little perspective, Paul writes this, the Apostle Paul. And he's not with the church in Philippi at the moment. He's actually in prison. Paul is pinning this letter to this church that he loves so much from a prison. And this isn't a prison that you would see in the town of Mayberry, where Andy and Barney are in charge, and then Otis can just come and go as he pleases. So this isn't quite like that prison. In fact, it's nothing like it at all. This is a prison where Paul cannot get out. But he's very fortunate to be able to send letters out to to churches and to to communicate with people that he needs to communicate with. And we know that we know that we know that this is the word of the Lord and that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because Paul writes from a very different perspective. Paul is writing from a perspective of joy. In prison, in the worst of circumstances, uh, amongst trial and tribulation, Paul, as he's pinning these words to this church that he loves so much, he's telling them to be joyful. He tells them later in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. What normal man says things like this? Only a man who is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit can say such things. So when Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, we know that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. We, we know that when we read it now in the 21st century, we know that we see the Spirit of God hovering over these words and these pages. 
the Lord is speaking to us just as he spoke to this church in Philippi. So let's start here in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, If then there is any encouragement in Christ. Let me ask you, have you ever been encouraged in Christ? Encouraged because you know the Holy Spirit and you know the Lord, our Savior. Have you ever been encouraged in such a way? There is an encouragement that comes from knowing Christ that you cannot experience anywhere else. I've been a worship pastor for, for most of my life now, and I, I, I tease the praise team about this sometimes. I've made just about every mistake as a worship pastor that you can possibly make. I've forgotten words. I have, we use click tracks up here. I've gotten off of click tracks. I've forgotten my guitar at home. I've forgotten my computer at home. I've totally just went blank up here. I mean, any, I mean, for a year, I mean, Beth's seen all of them. She's, she's, she, she was around when I was like 21 leading worship and just made tons of mistakes. And so after a service like that, where I just really feel like I bombed and I, and I go back and I shake some hands, I'm like, oh, I just want to go home. I just want to go home and then I'll come back next week and I'll fix it next week. I'll go shake some hands and then I'll, I'll hear some of the most encouraging things you can hear. John, that song really spoke to me today. The Lord just really used you. And I'm, I'm just thinking, like, were we in the same room? Like, did you hear what happened? <laughs> um, but they mean it. They, they're, they're not saying that to be nice. They're just saying the Lord spoke to them in that song or in, in, in the, something that maybe I set up here. I'll tell you what. I've experienced so much encouragement Simply from knowing Christ. And if you're a believer this morning, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying when I say there is an encouraging aspect to being a Christian. When other Christians just encourage you. When you read the word of God and it's just encouraging. When you read something and it just it feels like it's speaking just to you in that particular moment. There is an encouraging quality that comes from knowing Christ that that for those who are believers this morning, we, we get it. We, we know. We know what that means to, to be encouraged in Christ. Not encouraged from the world's perspective, to, but to be encouraged from a Christ-like perspective. There's nothing like it. So Paul's saying, if there's any encouragement in Christ, check. Yes, there is. There is an encouraging quality. Second, if any consolation of love, there is a consoling love that we as Christians experience that the world does not understand. There is a godly, agape love that, that, that the believer that, that we get. That when we come here on Sunday morning that, and we, we surround ourselves with other believers, there's a love that, that transpires, that takes place, that's inculcated in us, that the world just does not comprehend. But we get it. In fact, that love is so wonderful that we just sometimes we can't even articulate the words to describe how wonderful it is. The love of God is so truly miraculously wonderful that it just it just brings us speechless sometimes. That consoling love that that, that we experience as a believer that's just so overwhelming. When we hear God's word spoken to us, and when we hear an encouraging word, the, the, the love of God just transcends all of all the stuff that we may be going through. 
there is a constellation of love that takes place in our lives. Third is this. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit. You know, I, I've heard this. I've heard that you can do other things on Sunday mornings besides attend church. I'm always here on Sunday morning, so I don't get to experience those things. But I hear that you can fish on a Sunday morning. That, that That's an option. I, You know, I've never fished on a Sunday morning, but you can do that. I've heard you can go to the lake. Um, football's on Sunday, but that's always later in the day, so I, I do that. Well, what else can you do on a Sunday? You could, you could, you can go hike in the woods. I mean, there's so many options available to you on a Sunday morning. It's it's ridiculous. But all of you, if you're here this morning, you have chosen to be here to fellowship with one another. There is something so sweet about fellowship that takes place in the church. It's like we're 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 connected somehow. Through the Holy Spirit, there's a fellowship that, that takes place, uh, whether you attend the service or whether the, the, whether you attend across the street, we're connected somehow. With, with this worship service and that worship service, there is a connection that takes place through the Holy Spirit. There may be some who, who aren't here this morning, who are sick or who are homebound, who are on vacation or who, who, who are gone to visit a friend. And even though they're not here this morning, they're, they're here. Because we feel the connection. And Paul understands this. Get this again. Paul is speaking from prison who's hundreds of miles separated from Philippi. But yet he senses there is a, there's some kind of fellowship, some kind of unity of the spirit between that church way out there and his lonely prison cell. There is a fellowship that, that only the Christian can experience and know. So this week was a very exciting week for me. My hockey team won the Stanley Cup. The St. Louis Blues finally did it. Gloria, exactly. I've been playing that song. Oh, Beth's sick of it. I've been playing that song all week. <laughs> I love it. And so, I, went, I mean, hockey's like the fourth on my list. I like football, basketball, baseball, and then hockey. But I'm still a St. Louis Blues fan. I, I root for anything from St. Louis. So it's a very exciting week for me this week to watch Game 7 and to hear, see all that transpire. And then the parade was yesterday, and there was like a half a million people gathered under the arch in St. Louis. just a wonderful thing to watch. But I'll tell you this. That may have been great to see whether your team wins or not and see that parade. But there is no fellowship like the fellowship that takes place between believers. And that's just the honest truth I can tell you this morning. There is a fellowship of the Spirit that, that, can, that only takes place among believers. And we know and we understand and we comprehend that and we get it. We can watch the world gather together for different events and different functions and go to concerts and get together for rallies and all, all sorts of things. They don't get the type of fellowship that we get here among believers. There is a sweet fellowship that happens in the church and whether we're together or whether we're separated, we're still fellowshipping and still united together under the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. I'm thankful for people who are homebound that can't be here on a Sunday morning that wish they could. They're still connected to us. There's still a connection there. The Spirit of God unites us together in sweet fellowship. So there's that. Paul goes on to write, If any affection and mercy... 
there's an affection and a mercy that, that, that only a Christian can understand. You've heard me say this before, but when we truly understand, understand the transcendence of God, His holiness, His justice, and His wrath, and, and understand what we should have in our lives, death and hell, I mean, that's what we deserve. That, that's that's the, the wrath that could rightly be poured upon us. When we understand all of that and then experience his affection and mercy, it's that much more sweet. I feel sorry for the, for the person who just focuses only on the mercy of God and never truly understands his wrath or just frankly rejects it. There are churches that reject the wrath of God. But when we understand the wrath and the holiness and the transcendence of God, it makes his mercy and his affection that much more sweet. It makes his grace that much more amazing. When, when we look at what we should have and then realize what we actually do have, there is an affection and a mercy that comes from knowing the Lord. Then Paul goes on in verse 2, Then make my joy complete. Paul has joy. Even in prison, Paul has joy. But he says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Don't you just wish, just for once, that people just thought the same way that you did? (laughs) I just wish people would just think the same way I think sometimes. I knew what was going on. I wish Beth would just know what I'm thinking sometimes. No, I probably don't want that. (laughs) But don't you ever just think that, like, I just wish people would think the way that I think. Just connect the dots somehow so where people, this is, this is Paul being really transparent to us right now. He's, just, he's crying out to the church in Philippi, think the same way I think. Think about this affection and this mercy. Think about this sweet fellowship. Think about this consoling love. Think about the encouragement of knowing Christ. Think the same way I think. Paul's crying out to us as 21st century Christians, think the way I think. Think about this encouragement. Think about this love. Think about this affection. Think about this mercy. Think the way I think. Having the same love. He's he's connecting heart and mind now. He's saying, think the way I think and have the same love that I have. Christianity is about head and heart. You've heard pastor talk about that faith and reason are tracking along side by side. There is a connection between the heart and the mind, and Paul knows it. Make my joy complete. Think the same way I do. Have the same love that I have. United in the Spirit. There is a, I've said this already. There is a unity that comes from knowing the Lord, and we are united together whether we're here in this building or not. It's preferably that you were here. But even when we're not, we're connected. And it's not through Facebook or social media. We're connected through the Holy Spirit. Something the world does not understand. Then he finishes this verse by saying, intent on one purpose. Well, what is this one purpose that Paul's referring to? That's why we started in chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 27 of chapter 1. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, 
in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. There is one thing that unites us, church, and it's not music. <laughs> we all have different styles of music. I have my, I have styles. I like listening to Eric Clapton, okay? I, I, he's the reason I play guitar is because of Eric Clapton. We all have different styles, different, different kind of clothes that we wear, different kind of things. And we come from different ages and different social backgrounds and different economic backgrounds and different political backgrounds. And none of those things unite us. As wonderful and great as those things may be that we engage in, none of that stuff unites us. Paul says, just one thing. Gather around the gospel. Unite around this gospel. That's what unites us is the gospel. Whether you're young or old, black or white, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, the gospel is what unites us. That's why we're here this morning. You didn't wake up and come here this morning because your, your favorite song was going to be played or your favorite, uh, whatever, your favorite passage or whatever. No, you came this morning to, to gather around the gospel. To be around like-minded people who think the same way, who are intent on contending for the gospel. Paul's crying out to us 2,000 years later, contend for the gospel. Jude says, it's the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So church, as we, as we are a part of this fellowship of, of Main Street Baptist Church, may we always be contenders and advocates for the gospel message. Nothing more and nothing less. Just the gospel. It's a beautiful thing that unites us. It brings us together. This word of the Lord that we read every Sunday has an amazing quality of bringing us together. Whether you love contemporary or traditional, whether you like chairs or pews, this gospel brings us all together. And praise the Lord for that. So we go on. Paul says in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That's rather easier said than done, isn't it? To, to, to truly consider other people better than yourself. To, to put other people's needs ahead of your own. People who are even unworthy. People who are unworthy for you to do that we are still to place their needs and their, their desires ahead of our own. I mean, it really is easier said, said than done. So how do we do this? Only by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want, I want to quote something to you from one of my favorite preachers. Charles Spurgeon is a pastor, was a pastor in the 19th century in London. And he says this. People do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. When everyone is willing to be least, when everyone desires to place others higher than themselves, there is an end to contentious cliques. When you, when, when you put everyone's needs ahead of your own, cliques disappear. And let, let me say, cliques just don't happen in the youth group. Cliques happen even when you're older, <laughs> 
clicks happen the rest of your life. Now, maybe they're more prevalent or obvious when you're when you're a student, a teenager. Let me just tell you, just clicks just they just keep on going. I mean, I, I have my my circle of friends that I hang out with that I like talking to, and we we all we all develop these little clicks. But when we when we truly put everyone's needs ahead of our own, clicks automatically disappear. That they're just they're gone. Because you, you, you look at everyone as better than yourself. You, 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 really, you really have a high regard for everyone else. Not that you don't have a high regard for yourself. I think there's, a, there's a very much a difference between a good self-image that I think we all should have and being self-centered. It's important to have a good self-image. It's important to look at yourself and, and, and look at yourself appropriately as God had made you, being an image bearer of God. That's a good thing. But there is a complete difference of being self-centered. And that's what Paul's preaching about here, that self-centeredness. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. So let's move on to this hymn. This hymn to Christ, this, this Carmen Christi. We have an example. We, we see someone who has no reason to be humble at all, but it yet is more humble than all of us. This is the example of Christ. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Some versions say as something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself and be, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Let me just say that God did not need to create us. I, I've heard some things in my life saying well, God was lonely up there. So he wanted to create us to kind of have some fellowship with him up there. Let me tell you, God already had, has fellowship. Our God is a triune God. He, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that exist as one God in three separate persons. The Trinity already had perfect fellowship within itself. There, there is no need for, for us to taint that fellowship at all. Yet God, out of the goodness of his heart, created us. And so ju- just, to, just to start it off, God, God already had perfect fellowship within the Godhead. So... Jesus is, is God, fully God, and then he comes down as the incarnate word, as taking on our flesh and living uh, amongst us in humanity. That's already humiliating enough. Just coming down to, 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 to dwell among us is already a humbling aspect considering where he came from. But he comes down here, takes on our likeness, takes on our flesh, takes on our humanity. And then we, when he had grown up to be a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to ministry, obedient to to calling the 12 disciples, obedient to to healing people and to to feeding people. He was obedient throughout his whole ministry, even to the cross. And we sing about the cross all the time in our churches. We sing about it, we preach it, we pray it, we teach it, we, we read about it all the time. Why do we do that? 
just one reason. It's the gospel. It is the gospel. Let me quote Spurgeon again. We must study the records of the evangelists. For Christians ought to be familiar with every little incident of their Savior's death. There is teaching in every nail. The sponge, the vinegar, and the hyssop all have meaning in them. And the spear that pierced through his side is full of instruction. We ought to study them. Study them again and again and again. Here is the essence of our confidence. This is the pillar on which our souls lean. If there is any hope for sinners, if there is any consolation for sufferers, if there is any cleansing for the guilty, if there is any life for the dead, it is here. That's why we sing about the cross all the time. That's why we go back and visit the cross all the time. Because there is hope for sufferers. There's life for the dead. There's redemption for the lost. Church, we cannot go to the cross too often. In our hymnal, we we have lots of songs on the cross. This week I was going through every song in the hymnal that dealt with the cross. Only one of them did not mention sin. It was just a little bitty chorus that, that was referring to the cross. But every other hymn in our hymnal, when it's referring to the cross, sin is always there with it. And the song that I just cannot get out of my mind this week, I, I've been thinking about this song a lot. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I love that part that talks about the pardoning, the pardoning aspect of the cross. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There's another song that we sing. um, I'm going blank right now. uh, But it talks about um, Rock of Ages. And it talks about Sin, they're they're bringing a a double cure for our sin. There is a cure for what ails you. There is a pardoning aspect that takes place at Calvary that multiplies whatever it is that we've done. Whatever sin that you may have committed in your life, I can promise you that the pardon at Calvary multiplies that sin. That there is a double cure for what ails you. Vanity and pride and the cross do not mix. They can't. They they cannot go together. And the cross can cure whatever it is that ails you. Let's go on to hear what Spurgeon has to say again about the cross. In the cross, there is a cure for every spiritual disease. There is food for every spiritual virtue in the Savior. We never go to him too often. We cannot sing about the cross too often. We can't meditate about the cross too often. Because when the cross is a part of your life, arrogance flees. When the cross is at the forefront of your mind, vanity and pride disappear. The cross and arrogance cannot coexist together. It cannot happen. It's even, 
I mean, it's even different. I mean, oil and water do not mix. This is even more so. This is like the east from the west. Arrogance and the cross will never exist together. So we go to the cross again and again and again. So I want to close by saying this. We're going to finish with verses 9 through 11. For this reason. What, what reason? Well, everything that Paul's mentioned to us so far. The, the encouragement. The consolation of love. The, the affection and the mercy. The unity in the spirit. Do not be selfish. God was highly exalted. He came down low. He lived a human life. He did the ministry. He went to the cross. So all these reasons that are aforementioned, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. Why do we come here? You, you could have gone fishing. It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. You could have gone fishing today. You could have gone to the lake. You could have just slept in. That was an option to you. I didn't know if you knew that. It was an option. presented. The world presented to you many things you could have done today. But you chose to come here. Why? For the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. The reason that we sing, sing, sing every Sunday is for the glory of God alone. The reason that we preach, preach, preach every Sunday is the glory of God alone. The reason that Mark took these students to youth camp this week was the glory of God alone. I know it wasn't because of the food, right? (laughs) It wasn't because of the food. It's because it was for the glory of God alone. The reason that Beth locks herself in that room back there every day and has the hot glue gun and it stinks like you wouldn't believe back there. The reason she does that every day during this time of year, why? The glory of God alone. The reason that we're part of Sunday school and small groups is the glory of God alone. The reason why we're going to go out this week and be united in the spirit and, and live a Christian life is for the glory of God alone. Paul ends this hymn in a very perfect way. He says all these things in this hymn. But then the last thing he says is, for the glory of God alone. Church, we always have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. May we always respond according to his glory and his goodness. So I invite you to do that right now. Let's pray. And I invite our band to come forward as they lead us in this time of worship. Lord, we thank you for these old hymns, for the song of Moses in Exodus 15, the song of Mary from Luke 1, and this hymn to Christ that we find in Philippians 2. Father, unfortunately, there is no musical notation attached to these songs, but Lord, I don't think that's nearly as important as is what's being said to us. Father, may we give you glory in all of these things. To you alone, not to us, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you be endless praise. Lord, be glorified today in our actions, in our words. Father, be glorified in our fathers. 
And our fathers who are represented here today, as, as um, we, 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 we try to live godly lives and try to be good fathers and good parents to our children, Lord, we do this for your glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.